I'm Aaron Armstrong. I'm Pete Moran. And we love to watch. We love to watch says, uh, the horse hates the cursed, of course, of course, the horse suicide, of course, of course. murder it's back baby yeah not even horse murder horse suicide horse i've never seen suicide yeah this is the only uh movie i've ever seen with a horse suicide um, i've seen a, a horse uh misadventure in the never-ending story but never a horse being like fuck all of this and technically into a turbine <laughs> hold on no <laughs> technically and everyone, everyone's everyone's there rooting for the horse and then oh didn't make it didn't swim deep enough little yeah. guy uh, i don't think that counts as horse mid- misadventure that's that's a horse suicide you're right though i forgot while because in the never ending story movie the horse doesn't talk which feels like a really good decision in the book the horse does talk and the horse says that it's killing himself <laughs> <laughs> So you're saying canonically it's a suicide? Canonically, horse? yeah. Like, we don't know the motivation, but there's nothing that contradicts that the motivation from the book wouldn't also apply because the exact same situations are happening. So as we talked about on that episode, the horse is sitting there going, I'm too sad to move. Just let me die. <laughs> I just watched Never Ending Story finally with my daughter, and let me tell you, she had some thoughts on the horse suicide uh, yeah. scene. Does she but like horses in a particular way? Like, it just, is she like, uh, no. you know, would be a would be horse? She may evolve. I mean, I'm hoping not. She could evolve into a horse girl. Right now, she's a unicorn girl. I don't know if unicorn girls always equal horse girls. Maybe unicorn girls like. Uh, I like to think a horse girl is just a pragmatic unicorn girl. I feel like she could just like magic and rainbows and. In which case, a lot of things open up for her, I think, overall. As where, in a lot of options, a lot of paths you can follow, the world's her oyster. Or in this case, mm-hmm. her her racetrack. Do horses like a racetrack? So she's just going to be into, like, derbies and shit? Is there, like, a name for something where horses just get to hang out? Like yeah, a pasture? Pasture. There you go. Yeah, like I, I was thinking of like a chill space, but then the only other place I can remember where horses hang out are racetracks. <laughs> but I feel like that's their job. They don't really get to hang on the track. Yeah, the, the, they specifically are, are discouraged from hanging. I think they're also often uh, uh, turned into glue when they hang too much on the track. You hang on this track too much, you're not going to be on the track. Great. Well, yeah. not so great because you don't just get to go back to the pasture. Um it's like that song, life is a trackway, I want to not be made to glue. Let me ask you a quick question, Peter. Do ask you me. think it is a poor podcasting strategy that uh, in order to get most of our jokes, you need to have an encyclopedic knowledge of our podcast? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, aren't there like all those like D&D podcasts and those are just essentially like, if you weren't listening from the first episode, fuck you. Here's the thing. If someone was like, oh, I'd love to know what that joke is from. Can you name the episode where you guys started saying a horse is a murder horse? Of course, of course. A horse I'd abortion, ha- of course, of course. I'd have no idea. I don't have an encyclopedic knowledge of our own episodes. I just remember big occasional enough, Just things. big enough for a wiki. 
Yeah, if someone could like, yeah, we need like one obsessive fan who's not gonna kill us. That's important. <laughs> like, we need deeply, deeply important. We need the type of obsessive fan that likes to catalog things, but not eventually wear skin of the things it's obsessed with. So true. So true. So yeah, if we could get one obsessive fan to like make one of those things where like the recurring joke started in this episode and then was also featured in five or six other episodes, uh, do it. Uh, As long as, again, it doesn't lead to murdering and eating us. You know what? That seems a little harsh. They can they can murder and eat me. Okay, I'm gonna stand by my by my principles of not wanting yeah, to. Yeah, you've got a family. Okay, can we reassess the uh, this offer? Uh, my my uh, sort of olive branch uh, to the cannibal perverts out there on the day that my child is born. <laughs> well, even then, even if you you have a child that's born, you have one dependent. I'm still on the Worthington scale of not getting skinned and eaten alive. Um, mm-hmm. I'm still one of you. Have to have at two kids, it's a coin flip. Three kids, I I'm in trouble. So you need to have at least three kids, Peter, to be ahead of me on the don't get mm-hmm. eaten by an obsessive fan. As opposed to that person creating an encyclopedia of your inside jokes. Uh, can someone who's good at uh, cannibal meats tell me, uh, is uh, having a body that's constantly uh, booze-soaked good for the meat? Oh, yeah, I'm assuming. It's like uh, it's like when you uh, baste it. It's I, I'm basting myself. You're basting I feel yourself. Like you would just make acidic-ass meat. All you gotta do is just throw you in a steamer and you're basted, baby. Uh, I just realized it's not really about the flavor. It's about a se- it's a sex thing, isn't it? Why Why do you think basted rhymes with wasted? <laughs> I, you know, up until this point, I didn't realize they. You can always rhymes. tell when it's a Peter and Aaron episode because we're seven minutes in and haven't mentioned that we're we love to watch. We're movie podcast podcast. <laughs> We're from Chicago. <laughs> Jesus Christ. I hope you guys are looking forward to 10 minutes of the ring discussion tonight. Did you get bit by a dude from Skokie? Ah, someone, someone started eating me as I was saying it. That was the, uh, We're a movie podcast. Uh, a movie Speaking of Chicago game. stuff, I just realized something very interesting. So on uh, on Better Call Saul, <laughs> can I do this the is, intro? This is canon. Sure, do the intro, and then I'll get back to this. Okay. It's very important. We pick a theme. <laughs> <laughs> we do movies around that theme. <laughs> so yours is now the rat guy in the crew. Uh, yeah. yeah. I well, the first one wasn't an intentional accent, so I'm having I'm having a lot of trouble recapturing the magic. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, yeah, and this uh, this month, it's a double theme. <laughs> I'm just gonna change accents, uh, and uh, it's 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 scream makes movie horror remakes, uh, and uh, this is our fourth episode. Of an eight-episode arc of the show? I don't know. Uh, we're doing The Ring, the 2002 Gore Verbinski remake of the 1998 movie Ringu. 
And the only one that we're doing this entire uh, double month that is not a remake done uh, decade plus after the original movie came out. Uh, this is not a new interpretation or a remake for a new audience. Uh, this is just an attempt to say Americans don't like reading. Let's do it again. Because uh, the original movie came out in 1998, and this one that we're talking about came out in 2002. Now, that's all the deck clearing. That's really the only thing we're required by law to do each episode, Peter. So, what's going on in Better Call Saul? Uh, so, on Better Call Saul, as you recall, on the Saul, um, he, they he's tall. He's from Cicero, Illinois, which is uh, you know, it's, it's part of the city of Chicago. Essentially, it's a, it's a very yeah, back, close back when he slick Jimmy. Real life Bob Odenkirk is from my hometown of uh, Naperville, Illinois, but, you know, not important to this story. Just thought I would add it in. Um, <clears throat> he says you know, he's from Cicero. And I'm remembering now that there's a scene in uh, there's a scene in Wayne's World, Wayne's World, where there's two dorks who want to, I think it's Wayne's World 2, maybe. Yeah, it must be Wayne's World 2, where they're trying these two dorks are trying to get backstage and they mm-hmm. go. Um, uh, but they got denied along with Wayne. And one of them is Robert Smigel, and one of the other one is Bob Odenkirk, SNL writers. <clears throat> and one goes, I'm from Cicero. And, he goes, and the other one goes, I'm from Wilmette. And he goes, it's $5 if you take the parking ride. Do you think that that was a slippery Jimmy bit? He was he was pulling pulling a stunt on uh, on the, the, the whatever uh, Tia Carrera's band backstage access. Yes. Thank you. So we can move Which on. Is, to it was just a very now. long question. Yes, uh, we can talk about we can talk about the movie now. So what's interesting about these 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 remakes uh, that we're going to be covering is they sort of all tap into different movements uh, of horror. Where I want to uh, I want to talk about how uh, you know we talked about how Dawn of the Dead kicked off the whole zombie craze uh, with their remake with Zack Snyder's remake, and um, with this, I specifically want to talk about uh, how this kicked off a short period of remakes um, of Asian horror movies, primarily Japanese, um, but a short era of uh, of uh, Asian horror movies, and this was by far the most successful, both critically and commercially. Uh, it was actually like the depending on how you read the numbers and how you interpret the statement, it was the most successful horror remake until uh, the uh, Andy Muschietti, uh, Stephen King's It. Which if you don't, if you consider that like a readaptation or whatever, then I guess it still holds the crown. But I don't think you could remake a TV movie into the big screen. That seems a little... Yeah. Regardless, it made a lot of fucking money. And it actually didn't make a lot of money at first. It's open soft, and then it went on to make, uh, you know, hundreds of millions of dollars. Yeah. Um, so, So that was what kicked off this very short craze. Um, and yeah, this is an interesting craze because I think this is maybe the only good one in the list. I was looking them up and this is like the only good one. There's more that I remember. So to, re- to refresh the memories, there's The Grudge, there's The Ring, there's uh, Dark Water, Pulse, One Miss Call, uh, The Uninvited, Mirrors, and a few other ones as the well. The Eye is a Chinese movie. But, the Eye, you know, yeah. Oh, we're talking um, about Asian remakes. Yeah. 
Yeah, well, I kept almost getting remaking, or almost getting remaking, um, almost getting remaked before it actually did because Tom Cruise really wanted to, or his production company really wanted to option it, and then it kept ending up in like development hell, and then ended up getting released by a no-name director with like no stars to like almost straight to video, but. Uh, yeah, this was a huge trend. And I also would say that this, well, I think there's two trends in the middle of this. And they kind of converge with the ring that then makes the trend continue. So there's the trend of PG-13 ghost-based horror that gets its first, like, little jump start or, like... um I don't want to say nudge, but like from the sixth sense, which is like, here's a, here's a scary movie. It's rated PG 13. It's this slow exploration of ghosts. Like it's a huge hit. How do we replicate it? Meanwhile, Japan has kind of started doing um, its own like ghost based horror stuff. So I think the next one of consequence that comes out of PG 13 Ghost Space Horror is The Ring, another huge, massive success. Also has a little kid, uh, uh, or a kid that's a little off, that's a part of the plot, both in the original before The Sixth Sense and in the remake. And you are kind of off to the races. And one of the, one of, there's two tracks. There's the, let's keep remaking these. Japanese horror films or Asian horror films all is like PG-13 all kind of ghost base and then let's also kind of make our own like whether it's the skeleton key or a lot of other ones that were coming out so you had like a it, and I remember a lot of articles especially in like 2002 like proclaiming like the the end of the R-rated horror movie. Like we don't need gore to be scary. We don't need serial killers. We don't need um all that kind of stuff. We just it it is uh we we do ghosts, we do PG-13, we attract a bigger audience, we make a lot more money at the box office. We're no longer talking like you know, $30 million or $60 million on a $10 million budget, we're making, you know, hundreds of millions of dollars on a $20 million budget or something like that. And which is also why horror fans find it's one of the reasons horror fans find it so offensive is that like pacing an artificial roof on your rating um, is not just offensive to like the art of what a creator wants to make, but also like horror was always a, a high about pushing from- the limits, right? It was always about pushing the limits, which is, yeah, that's that's part one for sure. Horror was about being transgressive. It was about, and for some people, that's just about seeing the grossest shit possible. Sometimes it's just about, like, depicting adult content and horrifying things and getting your nightmares on screen or, you know, uh, interrogating your own fears uh, on screen. Um, but the, 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 the second reason is because horror was always a high yield property. Horror was always like a $2 million movie yep. yields $40 million and you're happy with that. 
Um, but they, they saw sort of this mainstreamification of horror, giving them a little bit more money, going after a bigger audience and making it PG-13 as a sort of uh, a, 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 some, a compression effect on the movie, making all these movies sort of samey and making all these movies sort of glossy and cheap and filling them with just hot people that would attract yep. the teens. And a lot of that is true. Um, it's not all true. There's good. There's good PG thirteen movies at this era, and there's uh, including The Ring, uh, and and uh, The Ring is very much I consider like an outlier to this era. But our fears were largely true in this era. There were so many bad PG thirteen operating within a, the, this tight little compressed, uh, you know, limits where you couldn't do anything truly challenging and you couldn't do anything truly interesting. So you ended up with this boring, unscary uh, little piece of fluff. Well, in 2000 to 2005 or 6 is just a generally terrible time for mainstream movies. Go look at what was nominated for Academy Awards those years. Go look at, like, what the top 25 box office hits were. It was, I don't know, it was a combination of just, I don't, I don't want to blame it all on 9-11. <laughs> but, um, <laughs> um, but it certainly didn't help. Um... But, uh, yeah, it really is true. Like, you look and you're like, 2000 is actually okay. Um, but 2001 to, like, 2005 is just a holy shit. Like, these movies are garbage. And, like, it's all PG-13. So, horror was also following a trend in Hollywood of, like, PG-13 movies make more money. We talked about that with um, – in Dawn of the Dead, that one of the reasons I originally had kind of been like, I am rooting for Zack Snyder, was not just because he made an R-rated, excessively gory horror movie, but because he had turned down 2001 SWAT, which is a great example of a that 2000-era blockbuster. We get hot people, no script, it's rated PG-13. Five years before that, that's as Arnold Schwarzenegger or, or Bruce Willis, like, led hard R, swearing, blood, sex movie. And now it's a, um, you know, a very toned down. And it didn't help that, like, the action choreography was, like, post-Matrix and so many Matrix clones were terrible. Or they were trying to use too much CGI because it was getting cheaper to do CGI, but we it looked like garbage. So horror is also just following the we make more money with this. And I don't know if that like ended up being ultimately true. And that that trend stayed for a long time. There was like some influxes of it. And I feel like in the last four or five years, we're just getting out of like, oh, mainstream blockbuster movies can be rated R and make a lot of money. And some of that is due to like indie films kind of hitting a little more uh, harder past like 2005, 2006. But that's uh, I don't need to go into a whole uh, history lesson. But yeah, it was a, it was a dark time for movies. And it was easy, I think, for for horror fans, including myself, to put a lot of the blame fairly or unfairly on movies like The Sixth Sense and The Ring. And I don't... When I saw them... I saw The Sixth Sense when it came out before the kind of trend really became a trend. And I remember loving it in theaters, not liking it on video. Uh, we don't need to get into The Sixth Sense. I know we have very differing opinions on it. But also, I haven't watched it in it'll, 20 be, years. it'll be mentioned 
for at least a moment because uh, this movie clearly is is pulling some influence from it yeah but i will note i haven't seen it in 20 years um so i may think differently of it if i were to <laughs> watch, it, watch it and you just think it's like a three out of five horror movie will that will that kill the demon in you that that uh has has haunted you for 20 years so i actually think six Sense is probably a two and a half three out of five horror movie i don't think it's terrible i think it's well directed but i think it's when i rewatched it i remember thinking that like most of its juice came from its twist and without it it was a little bit like boring but uh and the ring too i didn't hate the ring i thought the ring was like a okay version of it but i probably had a little bit less like i'm not gonna buy that i have no interest like i remember what i remember exactly where i was when i watched it I remember thinking it was good. I remember also just being annoyed that this was the the version of horror movies that we were getting, and that like definitely what, has, what half the ring rot. Yeah, and then like and and because it was already pretty uh, like just not just for horror movies, just movies in general. Oh, good, a PG thirteen scary horror movie. It can't be as scary as it should be. You know, I I didn't go into it with good attitude, and I still left saying I've never said I hated the ring. The ring is a bad movie. I just said, I like uh, my letterbox rating from a million years ago. Three out of five. It's fine. But uh, yeah, and that trend kind of continued until we we got. We already talked about. It. We're not going to get into it again here. But we got the reaction to that right too, which is like, where's these these reactions actually don't take that long. Like we're talking about you know a two year time gap, but it's like it felt like a million years at the time, and it was like, where's the gore? And then you know you have Dawn of the Dead. You have Saw in 2004, and then the trend becomes uh, this this ghost PG-13 type horror movie and J-horror uh, J remakes goes out the door and you end up with torture porn, which, again, just like all the genres, there's great examples of torture porn. There's garbage examples. And ultimately, Peter, I think you and I would as like adults who aren't as impacted by those trends as much would probably come down uh, equally, even if we maybe felt differently 20 years ago or 10 years ago, that J-horror remakes or PG-13 ghost horror movies has the same level of success as any mini trend in Hollywood. There's great, there's good examples. There's bad examples. Yeah. I mean, the list I just came up with was what? 10, 10 options. And, uh, this actually one, seems pretty light in good options, to be honest, from a remake. Yeah, one, one out of ten is good. Um, I would say that those numbers yeah. are probably true for zombie movies. Uh, yeah, definitely true for torture porn. They just made more than I can think of. Yeah, torture porn was probably also probably in a 10 to 30 percent range, the, the, the low end. The, the thing is, though, it, it's, it's about perceptions uh, over time and how it fits neatly into the culture and how also uh, horror guys have a bit of a edgelord tendency. Uh, speaking as a horror guy um, who was at 16, like, I'm not watching any more of these PG-13 horror movies. Like, uh, the, the the I had an edgelord tendency where I assumed if it didn't bring the gore, if it didn't bring the violence, that it wasn't worth it. Whereas now looking back, I'm like, that was never what I was looking for with my horror. It was never actually, I was never actually looking for the most violent shit I could see. I was looking for two, that two things at the time, which is not necessarily the same two things I'm looking for now. One, 
I've always been looking for dread. As someone who's generally an anxious person, I like the idea of delving into this externalized dread where I'm thinking about a separate threat from, you know, my everyday normal sort of anxiety, my banal, awful anxiety, and getting to enjoy sort of like reveling and feeling control over this artificial anxiety experience. And then that's remained. I'm more of a dread guy than a horror guy. I'm never much of a slasher guy because a lot of those movies don't fill me with a sense of dread. Um, some do. Some I like The Burning. Halloween's one of my favorite movies. But um, the uh, but also uh, the thing I was looking for at the time was I was looking. I was a teenager and I was looking for something that would shock me. I was looking for to to push whatever the transgressive limits were to what the genre were. I wanted to see shit I'd never seen before because I was a teenager. I hadn't seen anything before. And now that I've seen a lot of these, like the Martyrses and such, um, I, while I love Martyrs, I I like. Uh, I, I like the Hills of Eyes remake. Um, yeah. I like a lot of these extreme movies uh, on occasion. I like Fulci stuff. Um, I was never actually looking... I mean, I, I now I'm not looking for the most extreme experiences. I'm actually just looking for the best dread-filled experiences. And I have a belief about... Uh, you know, uh, what is the best way to accomplish that without sacrificing... Um, what it is as, sacrificing the integrity of the film itself yeah i think i think that's right um it just felt prescriptive as opposed to natural there's great pg-13 movies there's great pg-13 horror movies um it just felt like and it felt prescriptive and because it was or at the very least it was in the sense that like the shit i was reading that was like industry stuff like uh and people may laugh entertainment weekly or like just news articles that were linked to like hollywood reporter or variety or stuff like that like was all about how that's that's kind of like putting a name to a trend line that may not be as like clear from a business decision besides just like the remake of the ring made made buffo box office like (laughs) how do we how do we get in on that we can option the grudge great like you know but um you also just have all these like hollywood executives i remember reading all these articles about like breaking down the math of like what your top brackets were for an R-rated movie versus a PG-13 versus a PG and like where you lose like I remember reading all that and all it 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 emphasized for me that it was a business but it was a business that was specifically basically going like I guess the equivalent would be um yeah uh we found as a store that stocking Blu-rays isn't as good for us as like stocking sheets. So we're going to get rid of the Blu-ray section and start having more and more sheets. And it's like, but I want Blu-rays. Like now I got to go find a new store. And that's a terrible metaphor. But yeah, Hollywood's a business. They were making business decisions. They were explaining it in business terms. And it was like, oh, great. So I don't get to see movies. I Like at the end of the day, for me, it was great. I don't get to see movies. I that that uh, appeal to me or that give the filmmaker a freedom to make what they want awesome or if i do get to see those it's with terrible budgets and terrible special effects which were always already garbage in uh most uh high budgeted movies i i do think it's important to talk about this era of horror because 
um while we share a lot of the same beliefs that like you know these movements some of these movements were generally trash um you know it's also important to remember that horror is very much a genre about like they're cheap to produce a lot of people that go into it make them very cynically which actually makes the ones that are successful all the more special because they often are failing to do what all the cynical ass movies out there are doing. So like uh, the ring makes a lot of choices that those other movies aren't making. And one thing I want to note here, because I don't think it ultimately matters that much, but it's, it's funny. Um, Did you read about the, the, the original cut for this fucker? Uh, no, because you told me not to do any research, and normally I do my research right before, and you told me, no research, and I'm no like, research. Peter. I did, I did a lot of research, I also have a game. We gotta get to that game. Um, this was originally in a 130-minute cut. Uh, also in an interview, Gore Verbinski, Gore Verbinski, director of the Pirates of the Caribbean, uh, films, uh, director of uh, A Cure for Wellness, a movie I like, but is for some reason a two and a half hour horror movie about a guy hanging out in an asylum. But I, I do love <laughs> Cure for Wellness. It's, uh, yeah, I think I gave it five stars and I thought it was three hours and I'm like, this is fine. Yeah, yeah. The, I was totally fine with it as well. Again, I like sitting in textures. I like sitting in dread. I like I like sitting in the feel of a movie more than I, I necessarily am like focused on plotting. So like, yeah, anyways, so. Gore Verbinski described this movie as minimalist, which is very uh, interesting because it could only be described as minimalist compared to like mouse movies. Yeah, <laughs> like I guess this and Rango are minimalist compared to the rest of his movies. I don't think but... you can call any CGI uh, animated movie or any animated movie minimalist. So the original cut was 130 minutes, and it sounds so bad. So this movie is an outlier in a lot of ways. A lot of these movies, uh, these even the successful Japanese remakes or the horror remakes, made their money opening weekend, and then the word of mouth was shit, so they made no money. They by week three, they're in like the fortieth slot, right? Um, and there is a a subplot that's entirely cut where Chris Cooper um, is a pedophile murderer or something, and he goes to the to Naomi Watts, who's a reporter, and is trying to like help clear his name or you know somehow clear clear the story. Um, and uh, she ends up at the end of the movie, the end of of uh, the ring. She ends up having a choice to make on who to give the tape to, and the, the end of the movie is left ambiguous. And it's sort of like a beautiful like horror movie ending because it leaves you with a sense of dread. Uh, it's open-ended, but, like, you know what's going on. It's very similar to the end of It Follows. The the, the, the story is not quite over, but the story is over. So, hold on. Chris the Cooper's mystery- in the cut? Yeah, Chris Cooper was in a lot of the movie. Okay. He said in that particular cut, at the end of the movie, she delivers the ring tape to Chris Cooper. Samara murders him instead of her child, Aiden. Okay. She's a... Uh, do you have an opinion on that? I think that's the dumbest thing I've ever fucking heard. Um, it does match a little bit more. Well, it both matches and completely diverges. So I did watch uh, Ringu, also known by people like Peter as Ring, for the first time right before we were uh, recorded this, essentially. And because the length is so different, you're talking like 85 minutes compared to 110 minutes. My gut was telling me that the kid was an ad. Like, the whole kid thing, that's an ad. They had six cents. They're like, throw a kind of a weird kid that's barely in the movie in there. It felt like you cut out the kid stuff. 
you're going to end up with an 85-minute movie. That's not the case. That kid's there. Everything is essentially there. The only, like, I think time difference is it spends more time on a few different areas and has a little more fleshed out time, especially as part of, like, the the investigation also takes longer. Um, and there's more symbolism. There's just, you know, it's there's not, like, a clear subplot or plot. Um, there's a, there's much different reasons why Samara has powers and how her mom died and a lot of other stuff, which I don't know if we want to get into at some point during the actual movie. During but the quiz, um, we will. I was, I was actually very surprised at how close the movies were, but Ringu ends with the kind of notion that you can't just make a copy of the tape. Someone else has to watch it, which is actually how I remembered the ring ending, but it doesn't. There may be an implication of it, but it's not as clear cut. So I think in that way, yes, it makes sense that someone had to watch the tape because that's straight from Ringu. What makes less sense is in a movie that's generally a faithful remake, just uh, fleshes out and adds in uh, generally holistic ways. Um that they added a whole subplot that wasn't in the original movie. <laughs> and it's and it's and it's something that like the movie is not about child predators and it's not about um it's not it's not about that. It's it to concoct a mon- a Deus ex monster, a, a Satan ex machina that can come in at the end of the movie and just be uh, a a convenient uh, scapegoat to take the tape at the end to clean up the rest of your plot is one of the dumbest decision making skills I'd ever heard of. And I'm so glad that we got the movie we actually did. And that was actually from the original R cut. So it was like 130 minutes long. And there was this pedophile plot. There was more gore and murder that was cut out. But some of the gore sounds borderline hilarious. Like, so do you know how, do you know how, so you know, how does Samara die in this? Her mom puts a bag over her head and throws her in the well. Um, in the original cut, apparently, the mom chokes her and it doesn't work. And then she hits her over the head with a rock and that doesn't work. And then she hits her head against the well and that doesn't work. So she just throws her in the well. <laughs> it's like. It's, the way it reads on paper is very funny to me because it's essentially a woman trying to kill an uncle. Did like child. did like fucking Gorbachevsky just watch like uh, Austin Powers and like had the Will Ferrell part in his head? I'm not quite. I'm I'm very badly burned, but I'm not quite dead yet. And the mom's yes. like, oh god. Like dragging the kill out is is like pre portrait torn that uh, tor- portrait torn uh, torture porn shit. Oh, portrait torn, a torn, a torn, a torn. A torn. Uh, and then also the, apparently there was a long CGI montage of the tape being created inside the VHS player of like the 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 the, the, the sort of like curse wrapping onto the the tape in some way. Um, like all all of this shit sounds awful, right? Yeah. Yeah. So like, it sounds, I, it's, so somehow he's like, I guess he's good enough to go. Oh yeah. I have a lot of bad ideas. Let's just go back to the, to the good movie. Yeah. That, that I, that I'm remaking. Yeah. Um, and, and let's I also guess, consider the fact that, the, that uh, a guy who made a movie where a, t- uh, a f- floorboards uh, crack to the point that the floorboards uh, drop down and then a, actual fucking tv in a movie about the killer tv dash tape uh knocks rachel into a well <laughs> <laughs> like he's yeah. like yes this is my minimalist film 
<laughs> yeah, uh, he whatever instinct that was really stopped by that third Pirates of the Caribbean movie, huh? I don't know. Uh, pirate war, like what? Pirate yeah, so basically, war? he 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 was making a bad movie, and then the urge to cut it down to a PG thirteen. Um, very like n- not minimalist, but a, a, a PG thirteen, very lean, very character focused film that's mostly about three characters and no one else. Um, actually, really improved the film. Whereas like the other movies, like shit, like nothing could have saved the one missed call remake from being bad. Like nothing on earth. No, I mean maybe if they answered it. Yeah. <laughs> and also the One Missed Call remake is funny because like One Missed Call was Takashi Miike being like I thought I thought the, I thought Ring was scary. I I should make a movie like Ring and then have the scares in the We're movie making remakes of rip-offs of The Ring. <laughs> yeah. Uh yeah. Uh so yeah. Quiz. Do the, yeah, let's do the quiz. We got to get to the actual movie. Yeah. So um I want to do this because I don't know when we're ever going to be able to talk about Ring. I would love to do a Japanese like are, the, Peter. You know, spoiler rich. alert: we're talking about it right now. Are you here, Peter? <laughs> can you hear me? I just said a bunch of things about it. Uh, Peter, six, Peter! five, Peter! four, three. Um, so I wanna I wanna talk about the franchise in general because the franchise is how many rings are there. <laughs> we'll get to it. Um, it's, oh, oh, that's part of the quiz. It's, it's a tough question. Um, I do so, know when I looked to try to stream Ringu, it was not as it was somewhat complicated to find what I wanted to watch yeah. uh, searching through Amazon. Anyways, so um, there are a lot of films. The answer to how many there are depends on whether or not you consider a TV movie or TV shows part of it. Whether you consider unofficial Chinese remakes part of it, like it's a complicated question. So let's just let's just get down to it. So let's get down um, to brass rings. In the films Ring and The Ring, uh, Samara, or known as Sadako in the original, uh, has supernatural telekinetic powers. So that's part of uh, that's obviously part of the ring. That's one of the reasons that she's murdered is because she's she's pushed off into the barn and that amazing, weird, creepy, like uh, uh, owl's nest thing. Yeah. In, in the barn. Um, that, seem, that seems like a kind of one of those like, no, it's a bedroom. Like, we don't want you to die. But like. Obviously, it's you know, be careful. I guess. <laughs> Obviously, uh, the the horses are gonna gonna talk. No, the horses are gonna keep you up. I would recommend. We gave you the TV. I would recommend no running. I wouldn't jump <laughs> on the bed. I want rough house at all. I um, recommend getting in there, uh, <laughs> putting your hands tight. on the walls, <laughs> and then uh, jumping into the bed. And then uh, covering your head with with a pillow to make sure that it doesn't entire the entire structure doesn't fall through. And if you ever wake up having to pee in the middle of the night, I would recommend don't do that. <laughs> I recommend wetting the bed. You could figure it out later. Wet the bed, wet the TV, all safer. Yeah, she's a very she's a very wet ghost. I would say uh, lots of water involved. Um, so uh, Sadako Samara has a natural telekinetic power. Um, supernatural telekinetic power. Um, how do they explain it in Koji Suzuki's book from 1991? 
Um, her mother made a deal with demons for healthy horses, and she was punished with Sadako. Uh, her father is not the father, but is in fact a paranormal investigator just there to investigate Sadako. Her mother found a strange object from the sea. Her father was harmed in a nuclear reactor incident. I mean, I just watched this movie, so I'm pretty sure it's two. Uh, nope. Uh, her father is uh, in, the, in the original book. Uh, her mother found a strange object from the sea, and there's like implications in Ringu. There's implications in Ringu that her father was a, a like a sea demon, like a Poseidon kind of guy. Yeah, because they go to the sea, but he was also a paranormal investigator who did weird ESP magic stuff. Yeah, yeah, but that's not the the reason why she's she's considered in the original book. She's considered natural telekinetic powers. It's that her mother found an object from the sea, and it's weird like a Lovecraft Lovecraft and stuff yeah I was as you were saying that I'm like well the one that on paper interests me the most is is three yeah Um, but I wish they would have gone that way that yeah yeah Yeah. Um, I'll give you a half a point because I do remember from Ringo Ringu that (laughs) from um, Ringo from Rango, that, from Rongo, uh, that, that the that little the little lizard guy is up to no good. I will give you half a point for that because I forgot that the father's a paranormal investigator in the original Ringo. Um, yeah, it's it's weird. It's bizarre. <laughs> like that they were he was just prized for their mom and the daughter's ESP ability and took them around as like a part of a magic show eventually. <laughs> yes. Um, and how does he continue to elaborate on her specific, on Sadako Samara's uh, specific sort of ailment, her gift, whatever you want to call it in the later books? A, it's an alien present. Bleh. It's an alien presence seeking to ascend humanity. She's a demon sent to punish the family. It is a psychokinetically mutated smallpox virus. A sounds like you would have written it. So I'm going to go with C. Yep, in the original book, there, there's the 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 death is weirdly like uh, scientifically explained that like she evolved a smallpox strain and attaches the smallpox strain to the tape, and the tape gives you hyper fast to smallpox reactions. So like a tumor or something grows in your throat, and then you just die from a sudden like <clears throat> like a I don't know anaphylactic shock or something and that's why in the original the original series you're just kind of frozen in in death and in the new ones it's like your brain has like exploded and you just like turn into this like melty melty slack jawed face it's like that x-files episode where like no that dude is cancer scully are you saying (laughs) cancer couldn't just become a guy Scully? <laughs> it's exactly that. It's exactly that where it's like, hey, uh She read, is smallpox pages on I read three pages on smallpox and uh Yeah, smallpox could be whatever you dream it to be. She was smallpox as we historically know it is small. What I am proposing is that eventually smallpox became a big pox and yeah. grew limbs. Yeah, yeah, this is <laughs> Scully. <laughs> Pretty big pox, Scully. I don't know when I'm ever going to chance to ever mention that. Yet. Ever, ever, ever mention this. But I think my favorite tweet of all time is... I don't know if you've seen this, Peter. Knife alien? Yeah. <laughs> That's up there of just the... Um, <laughs> of this... Hey, Scully, three people were stabbed in downtown Washington, D.C. Mulder throwing a folder across the room. You ever heard of the knife aliens? <laughs> 
Oh, so sorry. Good. Best thing so in the good. world. So, so yeah. So, did you were you watching the movie and you're like, man, what is the scientific explanation for all this craziness? Uh, smallpox. I intuited that that was it. So it's good that they spell it out because I never like to have mysteries. <laughs> I never like anything to be poetic. No. Um, so two ring sequels were made very quickly. Which one is canon? And which one buried the which one is canon and which one was buried by the other? So which one is canon, which one is not? Uh Rossin, Spiral, or Ring Two? Uh probably Ring Two is canon. It is, it is. But uh Rossin becomes canon later, weirdly in a way. But yeah, we'll talk about it. Rossin was made simultaneously at the same like it was made simultaneously with uh Ring. Like, hold on, like it was made like parts two and three were shooting unrelated to each other or they did like a back to the future two three so they were shooting ring ringu let's say and they were like all right let's start working on the sequels so the original author yoji suzuki wrote ended up writing uh six books five of them novels one of them is just a short story collection you know ironically that's enough if you put them together you get the olympic rings (laughs) (laughs) And he basically, he he wanted to make the Olympic rings because he wanted to compete in the Tokyo 2020 Olympics. I want to win gold medal at human smallpox. <laughs> in a way, if you if you can make smallpox airborne, you win the gold medal of being Hitler. <laughs> well, I guess to make smallpox airborne in this analogy, uh, it just means that smallpox competes in the long jump. <laughs> because it was a smallpox. Airborne! <laughs> oh, not only was it airborne, that's a new record. <laughs> <laughs> So, um, Rossin was made simultaneously with Ringu, and uh, it came out immediately after, and it was, like, basically forgotten. Uh, It was, like, buried uh, by the canon, and then Ring 2 came out quickly after, and it was directed by the original guy, uh, Hideo, Hideo Nakata. And he, uh, they were basically like, yeah, we need you to come back and fix this. But they got him back quick, like, very, very quick. Um, so, um... So in the uh, uh, oh, when you die in Rasen, um, you a become a videotape with copy on the side, b become a Sadako clone, c enter a time loop where you live Sadako's life, or d you just die, nothing fancy. I hope it's one. Become a videotape with copy on the side. Yeah, that is incorrect. You become a Sadako clone in Rasen. You just become there's just Sadakos cloning all around. Hmm. Bad idea, right? Sounds bad. You don't want to... You see one Sadako, there's a thousand out there, you know? In Ring 2... All right, uh, question number four. Uh, the name of this game that we're playing right now should be uh, the fo- one of the following. Ring-a-ding-ding, ding-dong. Uh, ring around the brosies. Uh, ring in the new fear. Blowing out our O-rings. And ring around your anus. I have to choose which one you want to call this episode. I need you to choose which one I'm calling this quiz. Um, I mean... Ring-a-ding-ding, ding-dong, ring around the brosies, ring in the new fear, blowing out your O-ring, and ring around your anus. If I know you, which I do, I think that the funniest one to you is ring around the brosies. (laughs) (laughs) That is correct. 
<laughs> well, I, I'm glad I do know you as well. As I, wrote, I, I, I also wrote all of them. So. Well, I know, but I'm saying, like, if knowing you, you writing those five, which one you would find the funniest? I think it's yeah. that uh, Ring Around the Brosies is the biggest stretch. Uh, Ring-a-ding-ding-ding-dongs also makes me laugh. Uh, blowing out our O-rings. Uh, it's too gross. We don't, we don't go gross. for that potty humor. Yeah, and ring around your anus. Does Uranus have a ring? I think it's called Uranus. Um, Based on all the science videos my daughter watches. <laughs> Uranus. They, they don't even want any. Like, when we were kids, it Uranus. was like, once you figure out what, what an anus is, you could make jokes. But you you are usually learning your anus before what an anus is. And now they've just, like, done away with that. Like, when you are able to connect those dots, why it's funny great moment in elementary school and they're like no it's uranus now way more entertaining to make butt jokes than it is to learn the planet so i know and that's why candidly i think that people are right to not believe scientists about masks Uh (laughs) um in ring two sadako's revealed to have oh wait there's still more quiz (laughs) sorry i thought there's so much more quiz why would you why would you say the name of the quiz in the middle of the quiz that feels like a wrap-up quiz question it sure it sure it sure does feel like it Uh, it just felt more fun to throw it in the middle (laughs) okay well i guess Uh, remixing on the fly in ring two so the sequel to ringu sadako is revealed to have uh reincarnated as the small boy yuichi uh B, lived in the well for 33 years. C, actually have been her mother, uh, who she threw in the well and replaced. The Was actually her mother threw in the well? Uh, no, she actually lived in the well for 33 years and grew to adulthood. That's nice. Yeah, <laughs> I guess. I don't know what she was eating down there. I haven't seen the movie. I'm I mean, thankfully, we'll... as you get older, you get tall. As you get older, you get taller. Um, and that is perfectly suited for a well living situation. Yeah. It's got all the space. Uh, do you think when uh, do you think when uh, her mom threw down the well, she said like a cool like Arnold one liner and she was like, I hope you live well. <laughs> well, this was fun. <laughs> We're both going to get murdered by Sadako. Um, so question number blah. So we know that uh, we know that the novel was uh, adapted. Uh, Japan adapted it first. Which country of these three uh, adapted it next after Japan and in order? Number one, Japan. Number two, the U.S. And number three, Korea. Which country after Japan? After after Japan made their adaptation, which country was next to adapt the original book, Ring? So Japan? Yep. So actually the movie, this is a trick question. Uh, Ringu is not the first adaptation of the book. Uh, I saw one from 95. Is that... Yeah, is that the one I'm thinking of? It's a TV movie. So Japan went uh, twice to first, which makes sense, I guess, in a sense. But uh, they made a TV movie and then pretty quickly made the actual movie that we all watch. Then who is next, Korea or the U.S.? Um, Korea? Uh, Yes, Korea made a movie called The Ring Virus that I'm very interested in seeing. And uh, the U.S. made uh, The Ring. Why why couldn't they have just called it Smallpox? (laughs) Like, we already know what the ring virus is. It's, uh, how much how many more of these we have? We got a few. Hideo Nakata yeah. has directed how many of these movies? Two. Four. He, re- he directed Ring? Ring 2. It's one of the questions, two. how many rings are there? How many rings are there? <laughs> it's like a, fucking eight. There's eight rings? I think you said six. 
There's uh, the original. There's the TV movie. That's two. There's Rossin. There's Ring Two. This is four. Uh, there's Ring Z- Ring O Birthday. There's the final chapter. There's uh, Ring Virus. There's Sadako 3D and 3D2. There's uh, there's uh, Sadako. Wait, one versus... of them is colon birthday. One of them is a ring ring zero birthday. Okay. Yep. So he directed four. He directed Ring. Then he directed Ring Two, so the sequel to Ringu. Then after the Naomi Watt, after Gore Verbinski stepped away from ma- remaking the uh, Ring Two, um, the <laughs> sequel to the Ring, uh, he made that. He came to America just to make the Ring Two, and then in 2019 he made Sadako. Sadako 3D is a Japanese movie. It's a sequel to which of these movies? Ring Kanzenban, which was the TV movie. Ringu. Rasen. Ring 2. U.S. Ring 2. Final Chapter. Ring. Uh, the, the Ring 0, the prequel. Uh, or the U.S. Ring 1. So they made a movie called Sadako 3D. Uh, which, which movie do you think was the sequel to? Ring Zero. Uh, great, great random guess. It was actually a sequel to Rossin, which was uh, a non-canonical movie up until that point. <laughs> I think I'm getting car sick. I know. I know, dude. This took me so long to suss out. Uh, in Suzuki's third ring novel and Sadako 3D2, so both the third ring novel and the movie Sadako 3D2, so the sequel like, to 3D you Sadako. Might as, you might as well be saying <laughs> nonsense at this point. Like I, uh, I'll say D, Peter. Uh, answer, uh, answer one. We uh, we discover this is a pretty big revelation in the third ring novel in Sadako 3D2. Answer one. We were in a simulation. Uh, this was all Sadako's dream, and now that her bloodlust is sated, she can become a good girl. And three. Sadako is an alien plot to destabilize us. That destabilize destabilize us for our addiction to technology. Three. Uh, no, we were on a simulation. This is like a the, the, the ring series ended up being a Matrix thing. <laughs> Great. <laughs> well, uh, you don't know. Maybe maybe the thirteenth floor was big over there. You don't know. <laughs> I think that's a form of just like uh, cultural assumptionism, a thing I've decided exists where you assume <laughs> which American movie was popular in other countries. Uh, countries and you know a lot of lot of simulate maybe virtuosity you don't know tons of stuff happens yeah. in the Matrix movies uh, which was released as uh, Virtuosity Zero Birthday <laughs> <laughs> they have they have a dubbed over version of Russell Crowe getting a cake at the beginning or Denzel Washington hunts him or whatever I've never seen Virtuosity um, uh, I got two more questions and they'll take maybe ten seconds. Uh, Sadako versus Kayako is a Freddy versus Jason style movie for the. They made a Freddy versus Jason movie for one series. Hold on, hold on. Okay, sorry. for for Ring and one of these other series. So Sadako is from Ring, and then Kayako is from A Dark Water, also remade. Grudge, uh, Pulse, One Missed Call, all of those remade. Grudge. Yeah, good guess. Uh, Kayako is the primary. I feel like Grudge had like an actual like a uh, person who was the entity doing stuff. So yeah, Darkwater didn't really have that. Pulse didn't really have that. One missed call kind of had it, but yeah. Um, Who's seen one missed call? 
No one's seen it. I've seen the original. Oh, this yeah. is this is the Freddy vs. Jason for the original movies. This was made in Japan. Yeah, okay, great. Well, I figured. I think I would have heard of it. Yeah. Uh, and then last question. They the made Grudge vs. Ring. <laughs> last question. Uh, the Ring Virus, which is the Korean one, adds one more development to the ever-expanding Sadako. Uh, it adds it from the original books, but it's not really in much of the other movies. Maybe it's in one of the later ones, but this is the earliest example of it being adapted. So this is a feature of Sadako that uh, finally was adapted in the ring virus, but was ignored in the Japanese movies to date. One, Sadako is now, the development has happened, uh, she's a robot that uses electricity to travel. B, she's blonde now. C, she's intersex. Or D, she's the mayor of Seoul. Uh, mayor of Seoul. <laughs> she is actually intersex. It's a weird thing from the original book is that she's neither uh, male nor female, and it kind of plays into her persecution. Like it's an interesting thing for like the movie to just a movie to just be like, yeah, that's uh, that's canon now to the ghost. This is also really important for the spooky ghost, I guess. Uh, yeah, that is uh, that's exhausting. I, I assume I won. Uh, yes, uh, because I lost. 12 points oh, by asking okay. you these questions. Agreed. Uh, do you want to talk about <laughs> The Ring? Uh, yeah, let's talk about The Ring. Sure. The Ring. Well, we know something a long time ago I met a teenage cutie on a rock and roll show Hello, black hair and a big brown eyes Everything on her is a doggone nice Ooh, that's why I love her so Peter, you are alternate taglines. Uh, ring-a-ding-ding, ding-dong. <laughs> it's your birthday, maybe. <laughs> hey, it's your birthday. <laughs> hey, it's your birthday. You gotta come pick up your phone. You're dead in 17. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> oh, no. But it's actually fine because she just keeps living that first day over and over again. She never gets to the seventh day. Unlike the Adventists. Yeah. So yeah, it starts uh, with with a couple couple uh, high school girls, including Some Amber Tamblin. Where I was like, "Is that Amber Tamblin? It can't be Amber Tamblin. Oh, it's Amber Tamblin." Um, who they're talking about some uh, story that's going around school about a videotape that you get a call that says you're going to die in seven days. Uh, and one of the girls is like, how'd you know about that? We, me and some of our friends, you weren't there. We went to a cabin. We did watch that video. And there's a bunch of fake outs. And then eventually, oh, shit. They, uh, they, this lady or this Amber Tamlin's character did watch that video. And now she did get a call. And then uh, after a few fake out calls from her mom, uh, she walks in. The TV turns on and she dies. Flash forward to a to a funeral. Naomi Watts is a reporter. It's her sister, right? It's her sister who uh, Amber Tamlin was her kid. Yeah. So and, uh, yeah. So Katie, it was um, her niece was uh, Rachel Dash Naomi Watts's niece Dash uh, the cousin of Aiden Naomi Watts' child. Yep. So uh, Rachel is like hearing about this and finding out from some of the kids at the funeral that uh, actually a couple other kids died at the same time. They have a lot of funerals to go to. So she starts investigating it, sees a picture of them off this cabin. Their faces are all blurry and eventually goes to the cabin and finds the tape that she's heard a lot about, watches the tape. Uh, we'll talk about the tape, the tape rules, um, uh, and is 
is, yeah, then like, oh, that's weird. So she goes and uh, shows it to a friend of hers that you eventually find out is her either ex-husband or I don't maybe not ex-husband, just the father of her child, Aiden. Um, but they have since split up. They, they have a relationship. Aiden doesn't know who his father is. Um, but uh, they have a lot of access to video uh, video uh, editing equipment because she works at a station. And, and I guess he does stuff with video. Very convenient that he has all this, like, <laughs> um, uh, production-level video editing equipment uh, for his job in his, in his apartment. Um, if it had been, like, I don't know, a DVD that they had watched, he would be probably shit out of luck because he had not upgraded from VHS to... DVD, but uh, so they he said start. VHS, DVD, no. Yeah, he, he, DVD don't. He's like, oh no, I I still want laser discs. I chose HD DVD, not Blu-ray. I'm fucked. When I see uh, anyways, someone with a laser disc, I say later laser tisk tisk. Is that what you say? No. Seems Set like phasers cool to tisk. <laughs> um... <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, so, yeah, so they uh, – he she shows him the tape and goes, weird tape, huh? And then uh, the phone rings. They don't answer it. She did get the call saying, seven days. Um, it's like, oh, normally they just say the time and the weather. Um, <laughs> but, uh, yeah, so uh, they start looking into the tape sooner or sooner in more detail and like really like figuring out what's at the edge of the frames and analyzing it frame by frame. She makes a copy of it um, and notices that the, the tape itself also doesn't have like the magnetic strip tracking that shows where the tape is made. And he's like, well, that's impossible. That's, that's how you record to a tape. There's nothing in the world that can create a tape that doesn't have like a time imprint unless that just means the tape is blank. Uh, So they eventually kind of notice like a lighthouse and some other thing that leads them to this island where they find that there's there was some weird stuff that happened. There was a, a girl. All these horses died. Bad stuff happened on this island. Um, Would you say she was a horse girl? She's a horse girl. Well, actually, no, I wouldn't say that. <laughs> What's the opposite of a horse girl? She's specifically uh, not a horse fan. <laughs> she's, an, she's an anti-horse girl. I don't know. Uh, she, girl. She, hate, she hates horses. They every, hate girl, every girl is born either loving goats or horses. That's what I say. Well, then she must fucking love goats. <laughs> because <laughs> if, it's an inv- if it's always inverse proportionally to each mm-hmm. other, she fucking loves goats. Um, and I think that's Black all that needs to be said. Probably. Yeah, I mean, probably, Peter. <laughs> like, if, she, if there's a goat that's Samara. So Samara's the daughter's name. And they start investigating. She kind of died mysteriously. Uh, the mom, who's featured heavily on the tape, uh, committed suicide. And all that's left is old Brian Cox in his house, who's like, yeah, I'm sick of people coming in. Reporters every once in a while want to know what happened with the horses. Don't want to talk about it. But um, she starts talking about the tape, and he's like, where'd you see that tape? How is there a copy of the tape? Where'd you get that tape? Meanwhile, uh, her ex-husband, the the son, Aiden, has seen the tape, so there's even that much more like, hey, we're starting to get all these weird signs. Weird things have started to happen. They can't take photos of themselves. She was able to, like, pull a a fly off of the tape uh, while it was paused and all these other things. And... um, they eventually, Brian Cox kills himself over, like, it's never going to stop. 
I can never escape this. She's out there. She's going to keep doing these things. Uh, they find out that, uh, hey, this um, – they go to the room where Samara used to live and they find these tapes of her in a mental institution that are like her saying that there's going to be evil done and she just wished she could help it, but she just can't stop it. They like isolated her in this – Room that eventually led all the horses to kill themselves to get away from her because they tried to go into the ocean, which they are nearby or because they're on an island. Um, I guess it's not the ocean. I think it's like one of the Great Lakes. Uh, I think they're in Chicago, aren't they? Uh, in this movie? They're in, no, in, uh, no, in other movies. <laughs> no, they're in the Pacific Northwest. Oh, okay. For some reason, I thought uh, it was Chicago. That's why it's rainy all the time. Uh, uh, the weatherman takes place yeah, in Chicago. Yeah, if it was windy, then it would have been like Chicago. Barely rainy, any wind. Just lots Pacific, of drips. A lot of drips. Um, so they eventually, yeah, figure out that, um, okay, this clue in her room leads us actually right back to this tree that was out outside of the hotel I stayed at, the lodge, the cabin find out that they used to go there and uh, they're, they're fastly approaching the seventh day when uh, that Rachel is going to die. Uh, so they finally go to this, um, this cabin. It feels like she's going to die. They like notice that everything's pulling to the center of the floor. They rip it up. There's a well underneath the well from the videotape uh, through a series of unfortunate events. You know what they say? Well, well, <laughs> well, what did you expect? Well, that is way too long for me to do this. Sorry. Well, well, well. <laughs> I can't uh, keep interrupting you. No, it's fine. Uh, we don't have to talk about the movie. Um, we we've alluded to, about every to movie it. That somewhat slightly inspired it. In a people know about the ring. People know about circles. They don't know why um, it's good, though. We have to explain why it's good. Yeah, I think they know. It was very popular. Most people like the ring, Peter. Um, mm. Except Aaron, when he was 19, like, fuck this shit. Um, but anyway, so they, uh, in the well, they find the corpse of Samara and kind of realize that she was thrown down the well, piece everything together. And the police come and they're going to bury uh, Samara. And they're like, oh, great. Body wanted to be at rest. It's a classic ghost story. The ghost, uh, no one knew where the dead body was. That the ghost is like, I'm tied to this. Someone put me at peace. Put my bones underground, but like slightly not as underground as I already was because this is too deep for a proper burial. Um, and uh, the next day, Noah, maybe I'll, I'll introduce you to your son. Noah goes home and all of a sudden the TV turns on and there's Samara like, no. I'm basically still in the ghost video well. She climbs out, murders him. Nomi Watts is like, what the fuck? We did the thing. We did the ghost at rest. And then she remembers the tapes that like, oh, this wasn't a peaceful child necessarily that died. And her ghost is acting violent. She was just kind of a violent child who, who was like, can't stop doing this stuff. So, um, but she but did. it's like hot potato. It's like it follows. You can like pass it pass on the curse and well get it off so you. that's a, yeah it's it's less i think even that in the ring anyways and she's like she realizes what she did differently that saved her it wasn't finding the body it was that she made a copy and samara's whole thing is that she kept getting locked away her voice was never heard so by making even though she destroys the original <laughs> like she still only has net one tape 
Um, it feels like Samara's ghost should understand that you need to create net more. Um, yeah. It, net she should more make a tears. creepy movie that eventually becomes murderous. Yeah, from a she'd gross... Like, she'd be like, you have 80 days via typical distribution patterns. It is weird that Samara only looks at the gross... <laughs> <laughs> not the net like she's like as long as there was two tapes total even if one she's tape only is no thinking longer domestic she's not thinking international she's not thinking of current like liquid assets Absolutely she's not. she's just like she's just i want to know what has existed yeah she's just thinking about liquid <laughs> her focuses are specifically on liquidity the literal kind um, <laughs> <laughs> so uh she's like I'm going to she like makes her son make a copy and that's the end of the movie sort of implying that they're going to pass this on to save her son but they just need to find the right target yeah and then I guess it would end because now there's two tapes and they're going to kill that person and guess it's all over yeah or like that person will similarly like catch on to to something but yeah I mean maybe the is, one thing that's interesting about the remake that, but, is that it, the horrifying part is that like that this will have corrupted both her soul and the soul of her child. And her child has already been robbed of one parent. And instead of being robbed of both parents, uh, the child will just be robbed. That's the other thing that makes this very creepy. Aiden is a sixth sense character, very mature for his age. He yeah. and his mom are kind of codependent. Um, he's not really being, he's, he's not a full dependent. It's not a typical kid where it's like, he can't do anything. Like he, he seems to be taking care of his mom for some creepy reason. He refers to her as Rachel instead of mom. Because he's a weird movie kid. <laughs> he's a weird movie kid. And he's sort of, he, he's, he's very mature. He's very independent. And like this kid has now, he knows exactly what's going on here. He understands exactly, uh, what's going on here. He says, and he's the one that gives the, the fatal line, which is, uh, well, cause he so says that Samara. Is talking, else, right? Yeah, yeah, because he's saying that Samara is talking to her, to him. Because he's so, like a kid. He's just like a kid. So while my my intuition was that the kid was invented for this movie because of the sixth sense, what actually happened is the kid was just six sensified. He's not some some little like kid who just accidentally hit play on the recorder. He's like, I was called to it because I speak to ghosts, and they're like, Well, we don't we don't have time to really delve into that, but we're gonna jump back to it whenever it's convenient for us. Um, and then the one the one like kind of big change I think from, um the the original at least from like an ending perspective is that yeah you can say this might still be self-contained it's more about like naomi watts is going to basically make her kid knowingly or in her mind knowingly kill someone by making him watch the tape in the the original ends with them driving away and hearing something on the radio about everyone knowing the way to save yourself is to make someone else watch it. So, like, it's become part of the myth. So, I think you could in some way say that in in the original ring, it's this idea of this is going to spread because everyone knows how to save themselves. And in the ring, it's more about it, it's not really worried about this becoming some a virus, a smallpox type virus that spreads around, but more about the 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 cost to Aiden and uh, Rachel. 
yeah. So I, again, I saw this for the first time since it came out and I liked it quite a bit. There was points in the middle where I was like, oh, is this just a straight up masterpiece? And I don't think I got there at the end, but it is a great, great horror movie. Um, I thought the parts, just from a very like high level perspective, I thought the parts that it did well was anytime it uh, showed creepy imagery, um, which this movie is amazing at. The the tape itself is just like a masterpiece of like David Lynchian weirdness. It goes on a decent amount of time, especially compared to the original. It is like so so fucking well done. I'm sure there's some weird art film that Gore Verbinski made and is in the early '90s that is like that he's pulling from because uh, it's great. Um. And then there's tons of, like, weirdo imagery throughout. I feel like when this movie tries to explain stuff and sets it up as a mystery, it makes it less interesting uh, a little bit. I think that's that's my – when it starts – like, when you start connecting all the images on the tape to less weirdness but, like, direct poles – I'm not saying it ruins the power of watching the tape, but it's like, I don't need to know where every shot of this fucking tape comes from. Yeah. You know? Yeah. It's a weirdo tape. Just let it be. A, even the Some centipede. Cosmic, cosmic nightmares that are transferred yeah. directly from uh, the consciousness of a tortured little girl. Yeah. And also, like, I think the the motivation for the tape in the first place, like the original, it's like, yeah, like her evil personified became a tape, which is not a satisfying explanation, but it's like, we know that there's no explanation that's going to work here. And for this, like cut images from her memory into a tape from her psyche. Um, supernaturally created is even less interesting. Like even the centipede, like there's that great scene of like the centipede and the force, the centipede and the force perspective in the table. And then like Gore Verbinski feels like, Oh shit, we got to have this, the centipedes up in our room. It's like, you didn't need to literalize the, literalize every part of this goddamn yeah. tape. And that's so, so it doesn't ruin the movie, but the movie is better when it's um connecting a overall um, scary story, not connecting or explaining individual moments. I'm with you. And it, tr- it tries a, really hard. Yeah, go ahead. Can I throw in one quick thing? Um, even if you're not done, I want to jump in there really quickly. This has sure. the one good library scene in one of these horror movies, and it's because the library scene is like, hey, remember that creepy shit you saw 20 or 30 minutes ago? Like, we're going to show you the context for that creepy shit. And while it does take away the creepiness from the tape, it fixes the library scene that every horror movie has and no one likes. Yeah. The the microfiche scene where they're oh, in the yeah. basement and going through newsprint. Nobody likes that. You know what makes those scenes great is to make them into a horror scene by connecting them with something that already scared the heck out of you. Yeah, the... um. The pulling the fly, which is great, too, because there's a point where she touches the fly on the screen when the when the when the movie's going. And then later when it pauses, she notices that the that the the fly is still moving. And (sighs) when she grabs it, it flies away. That's amazing. Like just an amazing uh, scene of like connecting that like this was something that looked like, hey, why does it look like 
this flies on the screen and she touches to confirm it is a fly that's filmed and not one actually on the screen and she confirms that's not the case and then later under different circumstances when she pauses it the fly is able to get off screen fucking amazing like that so stuff cool. is all so goddamn good yeah it, it's just like um it has a little bit of phantom menace problem where it's like I can't just let this video exist as weirdness. I need to explain how each part of this video makes sense. I agree with that. However, I love the Sadako origin, and I think it's super important that we, like, go back to the farm. We find out. Yeah. We go and talk to random locals and, like we get a sense of what it was like to live with her her family that a family that originally wanted a child so bad and then day by day of this child's poor life they grew to resent her but this ended up being a psychic child who had you know would not be forgotten and uh so how wait how do you feel about the the twist ending and then obviously it's it's pretty oh yeah twisty let's, let's get into that uh so i love it, it i love um, it too because i think that'll help us kick off into what the themes in the movie are because it's so good at knowing how horror movies and ghost movies end right which is it doesn't even need to explain like it doesn't explain that like the 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 bones needed to be at rest it just understands that is such a common i don't know if it's uh uh globally or like american culturally like oh yeah of course of course this child ghost is angry it's 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 bones are floating in a soup like, it's a gothic it's a gothic horror thing like you know if you're li- if you're if your old castle that you got from your uncle is haunted you got to find out where your uncle's bones are and bury them and then all yep. of a sudden that victorian mansion's going to be Tight kill vampires, right? Or something like you find bones and set them on fire. You go back to the um, origin point of yeah. the trauma basically. The body the body itself where the trauma was inflicted. Exactly. And so and it and it and it plays it like a exciting scary climax. It doesn't it doesn't give it a short shrift and it happens late enough in the movie that unless you're like um obsessively like watching it with display on to see how much time is left it's like 95 minutes into the movie if you saw it in theaters if you like weren't paying attention to the clock you could reasonably assume that enough has happened that the movie is time to it's time to end and it also we know that rachel is gonna die and so the fact that she doesn't die feeds into our assumption that they did the thing that the ghosts needed. And so when it turns out, and even again, it spends time on all of it, everything you would see in that, in, in an ending to the movie, it's not like then it does it and they go home and, sh- and it happens, right? Like they do the, we're driving home. We're looking at our kid. They talk about maybe come by soon. I'll call you to reconnect with a kid. Like, it spends the time that you would expect in a denouncement of a movie where you get a happy ending. And so that stuff is so important to making the rug pulling later on really work. If it hadn't committed to really giving us the full ending at the right time, you end up with a twist that feels cheap. Instead, you feel like something that like, oh, much like the characters have misread the situation – the audience has misread the situation. It's both playing on our cultural 
biases of what a ghost needs. It's really, if anything, Peter, it is um, a ghost, uh, but actually. (laughs) (laughs) And I think it's, I think it's actually a very interesting, it's an actually, it's a, it's a pretty interesting way to treat a ghost story. I've seen other movies do this since, but the idea that you can go back to the corpse and somehow undo uh, the trauma uh, is not right. Um, the way you undo trauma is not to just like uh, pay homage to the one person that was was hurt. Um, the way that trauma is satisfied, weirdly enough, in this case, um, <clears throat> is that you 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 discuss the trauma, you spread the word, you um, you, you she all she wants was a, a girl who was hidden in a well. Or was thrown into a well. A girl was hidden in a barn. Who was locked up in an asylum. Who was who was treated as an outcast in her own family in her own little island uh, island town. Um, she just wants her story to get out there. So you save yourself by passing on the word, and that person saves himself by passing on the word. And no, the curse is not proportional. Uh, but it doesn't seem to matter. It doesn't matter to the horror. And you're left for the first 90% of the movie thinking uh, that witnessing is the transgression, that paying witness. You saw this horrible thing, now you get to pay. But witnessing is the purpose. Uh, witnessing is, is the goal. Um, it's not just that she's trying to spread this ring virus to um, say... Uh, uh, you know, not just trying to spread this ring virus and get this these, this imagery out, you know, as rough as it is uh, to, to scare people. She wants people to know that she suffered horribly and uh, was forgotten about and nobody paid for it. Yeah, but also the kid's just evil, which I kind of like. Like, it doesn't work as much from a thematic standpoint, but like... It doesn't count as a stand-in for, uh, you know, a, a uh, abused minority, but it does count as a stand-in for how trauma uh, ripples through the years and how trauma can't be undone just by giving someone a good burial. Yeah, I also think it's about like... So, sure, the kid's evil... I just don't but, know if the kid's evil in this version. The kid's definitely evil, evil in Ringu. The kid, I think the kid had powers and then was turned evil by how her family feared her. I don't know, though. Maybe turned evil. So, sure, I don't know if she was evil or turned evil, but, like, if, if you buy Brian Cox's story, um, and I think, I guess, depending on your interpretation of, like, the movie... It's that, like, he, he has, like, and part of it's because Brian, Brian Cox is tough to, to take stuff from, A, because he's a very good actor, and B, he, he, he very often plays uh, trusting characters that are, turn out to be evil. So, let's say, let's, let's just take him at face value, where he says, because um, there's nothing in the movie that directly contradicts this, where he's like, hey, my wife wanted a daughter. I, like... She wanted to be a mother. She tried so, so hard. But, like, at the end of the day, like, we couldn't control the evil she was inflicting upon people. So, it's kind of like, I think you can do a little bit of choose your own adventure. And I think both interpretations are valid. Like, is it is it a uh, omen situation? Uh, or is it a, like, 
uh, we abused this child. We lied about how much we loved it. We kept him in this room. And then eventually her like psychic evil, like eventually she, we, you know, with that much abuse, she turned into this, like uh, uh, this maelstrom of, of, of destruction for the townspeople, like the town and anyone around her and now innocent, unrelated people who view her videotape or visit her burial site are, um, are punished in some way just from the, the damaging effects. I actually think both interpretations are valid. Like I, Uh, yeah, I'm more on like the carry side of things where like, uh, you know, you know, Carrie had an immense power. Carrie could have used that power for good, um, but suffered such constant abuse and degradation and such blame for her. Uh, you know, in the sense it would be for her power. Um, in Carrie, it's just because of her womanhood. Um, but yeah. it, it, I, I see it in that way where it's like she 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 could have gone the other direction and become a Matilda. Um, but instead, she wasn't given the <laughs> you either get a carry or you get a Matilda. You got to go one yeah. way or the other. And yeah. uh, Samara dash Sadako got got straight up carried. Um, and, and yeah, Carrie, so I, I ended up punishing people that uh, weren't didn't do any, didn't cause her any harm. Um, and so like, that's what I think it's sort of like a lashing out of the traumatized. Yeah. And I think that's a fair reading of it. And obviously it's more thematically deep. I see this movie as, uh, less, less thematically rich and more, um, a, um, techno riff on a omen or Rosemary's baby type situation. I like like it that way too. I like, I like bad seed movies. I, I feel like it's a bad seed movie, and I feel like it's a, a bad seed movie that never actually lets you spend any time with the seed. You are. <laughs> She's just a spooky little girl all the time. Well, I mean, we never see her like, you know, we see the one tape of her where there's any like non ghost, right? And the only time is that she's. I mean, just staring at the camera and then eventually a little interview is like, I try not to hurt people, but I just can't seem to help it. Like, and it's like, oh, yeah, that's a bad seed like that. <laughs> that's uh, and and I think the ending, at least from a Hollywood trope perspective, like your reading is strong. That idea of like, yep, you can't just bury the bones nicely and expect the trauma to go away. Like, great reading. But also, it works with the other reading, too, where it's like, oh, you thought it was an abused child who just needed to find peace. What it actually was was a bad seed who uh, still has all the powers as long as tapes exist. <laughs> like, yeah, yeah. Um, And so I, I, I just find that in more interesting. I don't know if I find it more interesting. I find it more scary. And ultimately, I'm, when it comes to a horror movie, I find um, what I've told you, I don't I'm not a huge fan of ghost movies as a mm-hmm. horror. There's great ghost movies. But like The Orphanage is a great movie that also has the like as long as I, I think it's because I hate that trope. I hate the trope of of that. There's the way to defeat these fucking scary, creepy ass ghosts is um to 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 uh, get make them peace at peace, them. make peace with them. Like Devil's Backbone, another movie I really like. I feel like I'm held back from loving it because it it it's like, well, it's it's a good friendly ghost though, and it's like, yeah, I like what I like. Sometimes just evil and spooky shit. Like I like the weird cult stuff. I like the bad seed stuff. I like the uh, 
you know, it's not exactly my view of the world. I don't believe there's children actually be, being born that sometimes are just made for evil. Um, yeah. But I do. But that's one of the reasons I like horror movies is that it doesn't uh, it doesn't need to reflect my real like humanism or thoughts on humanity. Like it is the place where you can just have a, a bad a bad seed. And we've talked about this in relation to religion, that one of the reasons I think both of us like kind of um, the the kind of religious horror stuff is because in our real in our in our day to day lives, we believe all that stuff is nonsense. But like, oh, the mythos that you could this could happen is great from a narrative spooky perspective whereas like yeah there's no such thing in real life if you're religious you do kind of believe that you know didn't uh didn't trump's like minister of faith or whatever their weird dystopian name is just be like i pray for all satanic babies to miscarry recently like yeah like they believe that shit in real life and i can enjoy it as just a uh as a fake movie spooky thing yeah, I agree with you, and and I, I we've talked about this before. Where like, as somebody who doesn't believe in ghosts, um, yep. despite that fact, uh, ghost films scare me far more than pandemic films scare me far more than uh, post-apocalyptic films, more than home invasions, like stuff that's you know for me uh, statistically more likely to happen. The collapse of society because they're likely to happen at all. <laughs> that there's even a 0.01 chance or whatever of it happening. Uh, home invasion is more scary to me or is, is you know, uh, more likely uh, than a ghost thing happening because I think a ghost thing has a 0% chance compared to a 0.01. Uh, I guess maybe they just have overused a move. I just think ghost stuff scares me because I can't rationalize. You can't argue with the irrational mind. And I think ghost movies tap into, um, you know, while some of them, I love them for their lore. Um, Speaking of Japanese films, I just watched one called Norai, Norai, The Curse, which scared the shit out of me, man. Like... It was so creepy, and like my wife was asleep to me, asleep with me next on the couch. I had a really great day. I wasn't anxious at all, and then I sit down to watch this movie, cuddle up with a beer, watch it, totally relaxed, and all of a sudden, like I'm terrified. And this is shit that I I don't believe in curses. I'm not. I'm also not Japanese, so I'm probably missing a lot of the context there. But uh, just the way it's shot and the way it's executed is like all stuff I don't. It, it's taking stuff I don't believe in. And executing it well. So, like, I've said that before that, like, sometimes stuff that I don't believe in scares me way more than stuff that I do believe in. Like, yes, technically, someone could break in my house and murder me while I'm recording this podcast. But I don't believe that a ghost could ever harm me while I was recording this podcast. Um, But... The fact that it's the fact that it's irrational and it's tapping to my irrational brain actually, you know, gets cuts deeper. The other half of it. Everybody has little like home invasion fantasies, even if you're not like a gun-toting American. Not even fantasies, fantasies dash nightmares. Fantasies are right. (laughs) Yeah, well, depends on what. Like, how would I react? You know, daydreams style situations. Um, And with ghosts, I'm like, I don't know what the fuck I'm supposed to do with this thing. Like, I haven't prepared for it even a little bit mentally. I don't know what I'm supposed to do here. And the rules don't matter. And then all of a sudden you're like, I would chase, similar to It Follows with the bat, the pool scene, similar to, uh, you know, destroying the tape, similar to uh, it, it, uh, going and finding the body and putting the body at rest. I would just, I'd follow tropes. I'd follow whatever I knew. I'd say, go. I'd go to talk to a priest. I'd go do like all the shit to try and make sure that I could put myself at rest. Uh, you know, I could put the, the, you know, put the demons at rest. 
And then after that, what what do I have? I have nothing. Yeah. Uh, I think I think when ghost movies are done right, I really like that. Um, and I, I shouldn't say done right because it implies that there's like a right or a wrong way. I guess just for me personally, I think too many ghost movies, at least American ghost movies, are, are based on the – like ghosts don't want to be evil. They just are forced to relive their trauma, which uh, can be done really well. It just is 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 constant, right? And like almost think of the best ghost movies that are like truly like I I like I I really do like the orphanage and the Devil's Backbone and 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 other stuff like that. Uh, Crimson Peak, another great example of like the benevolent ghost who just like wants to be heard. Uh, what's more interesting for me is that like taking that, that very American trope and turning it on its head. Cause you're right, Peter. I don't know if that's a, that that's a trope that, that is a pre- as prevalent in Japanese uh, filmmaking or storytelling or stuff like that. But they're just like, yeah, it's an evil kid. <laughs> like, we, you know, they, they don't try to, um, they, they don't try to, make it appear like it has something to do with getting at rest. It's just like we've stopped. It's the source of its power. And then they're surprised when it's not. So that's why I actually think the twist works better in the American version, because you're playing off this idea of like this poor kid. And I do think that's why when she realizes what's happened, she flashes to Samara saying like, she doesn't want to hurt people. She just can't help it. Yeah. You're probably right. You're probably right. I mean, it also like, uh, I don't know. I think your interpretation is valid. I'm just saying, like, on on every level of like what I want out of a horror movie, what I what I find compelling about a ghost movie specifically, one that takes like the actually the most compelling part of, of this movie for me is that it goes through the ghost happy ending. We solve the ghost crisis, and it's like, nope, yeah. all of your rules are failing you because you forgot it's an evil kid. Evil kid yeah. ghosts are just evil ghosts. Yeah. Not yep. sad ghosts. And even Aiden is like, you idiot. Yeah. yeah. So we have to talk about two things. Oh, that's a great. That's a great. When he's oh, like, it, wait, you helped her? You helped her? Why'd you help her? And he's like. Oh, my God. That's the that's, only time he's shown. He's like, yeah, the ghost is talking to me. And he's like, but I'm a weird kid. So I'm so I'm chill with it. He's like, the resigned only to time yeah, the only time he shows emotion is finding out that his mom helped helped Samara. Mm-hmm. So um, yeah, um, there's a couple things we need to talk about really quickly um, sure. before we get to them. Um, I want to talk about both the technological theme, um, which is super important. And I don't know, I dude. We fucked about... around. We're gonna have to compress all this. Yeah, and Gore Verbinski. Great. So we talk. I want to. I want to talk about one thing. And it's thirty seconds. Yeah, I, I'm gonna make a website called. Does the horse commit suicide.com? <laughs> it's a whole new website and it's just the, its front page is the ring with a sad horse face. There's no happy horse face. It's just the sad horse face. Uh, and then like and then like there's like there is a content warning for never ending story, but it doesn't technically apply. Like does the does the yeah. you know, does the horse die uh, die by suicide? No, but the horse does die and is very sad about it. If you read the book, yes. Yes. <laughs> non canonically. This is uh, so comparing it to the original. Let's talk about Gore Verbinski first, and then we can talk about the technology, and then I'll lead us towards the end. So Gore Verbinski was, can you guess, a music video director? Um, 
so he did you know uh fucking uh no, bad religion no effects uh vicious yeah. rumors music videos and shit uh and then his first movie was mouse hunt which was super visually potent i've never this uh i've never seen it i know a lot of people love it though but i, I, I love it don't watch do you think i'd love it the first time but watch it because I, I it creeped me out as a kid and then i watched it when i was like 10 or 11 and i loved it so it just was in that like uh it was released in the era of like terrible live action uh movies yeah <laughs> so it's 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 good it's actually good um okay. but I, I like most Gordon i know people Rinsky love movies it. yeah uh, well so yeah well, let's talk about sort that. of maximalist sort of live action comic book approach to real life with big stunts and sort of a rollicking energy where where uh momentum moves from scene to scene he's also known as as a big visual stylist guy like not just in terms of how he shoots action scenes but like that he not just that he shoots action scenes in a certain way but how he shoots them in terms of colorization yeah and like film twitter fucking loves gore verminsky too and yeah, it's interesting that you say that you love. I was curious if you like like him in general. I think he's made movies that I really enjoy, like Cure for Wellness, like this, like the first Pirates of the Caribbean movie. Um, I also get the sense that like – I mean I've seen The Mexican, which is one of the worst fucking movies I've ever seen. Um, I haven't seen The Mexican since I was like – I was a, thri- I, uh, a burgeoning film lover and I loved it at the, at the time, but I haven't did seen it. Did you really? Ever. Oh, man. I, I was too – I was a burgeoning I, – I saw it in theaters. I was so excited for it. I, I mean like 10, 11, 12. So I was like 16, 17, whenever it came out. But anyway, um, I, uh, I always feel like he is someone who gained too much power. He's a classic like – I am not Steven Spielberg, but I've gained the power for a while of Steven Spielberg to make whatever movies I want at whatever budget, and I don't have as good of, of like, discipline, discipline or storytelling, um, uh, storytelling prowess to make consistently compelling movies with almost unlimited budgets. Um, I need either a better scriptwriter or someone to rein me in more, um... I don't think he made like George Lucas bad movies, but like, you know, it's it. And his movies always have good parts or like well staged. He's, he's a great director. Like even he Lone just, Ranger, which is considered a very bad movie, uh, has this train sequence that's like the one of the best action film sequences of the past decade. Like, it's yeah, insane. he just is, he is not a filmmaker that should be operating under complete creative freedom. That's my take on. And I know that may be like antithetical to the notion of auteur theory, which I don't necessarily subscribe to or like all these other things. But like, I think that's why film Twitter loves him. It's like this just guy has money to do excess and he doesn't care about making good movies Very similar uh, all to the, the time. The Wachowskis, I would say. Um, where I think Wachowskis, the, the Wachowskis have a better like, I think – I don't, I don't know, think man. theirs is excess for excess sake, though. I think they have no, a very specific saying, like, thing they're trying I, to do each time. I'm saying that they are they exhibit the excess of true auteur theory that yeah. they, that they uh, were yeah, allowed to right. do whatever they want. And they were basically allowed to, like, um, make another Matrix, make another Matrix, make another Matrix, make another Matrix. And they, and they kept making interesting projects that I'm not necessarily in love with, but yeah. are highly visually stimulating, have their own look that no other movie has. And, like... Uh, yeah, I just rewatched Speed Racer, and it, like, I it cements my theory. It's a fucking masterpiece. It is like, and still like, looks like nothing I've ever seen before. 
Even though I don't find myself revisiting his movies all the time, every time I dive into one of his movies, I'm like, he is using his visual, his space in Hollywood as a visual stylist to get shit done, to express a, uh, to express his vision on such a broad scale. And he makes movies that I do enjoy and I emotionally connect with. Like A Cure for Wellness is like a movie that feels made for me. Like these big... Uh, the alpine sweeping camera shots that are usually reserved for movies from the 40s but shot in modern day beautiful digital photography and then all these strange gross practical effects mixed with digital effects where they can't make a practical effect work and like these haunted faces and like yes he has he has his sins uh similar to i would say the wachowski's post matrix revolution i mean similar to uh david fincher similar to a lot of visual stylists like there are movies where they take the digital saturation the post oh brother where art thou fight fight club digital saturation effect way too far um but he's making movies that are shot well and framed well and are are are, uh have have a, a a a uh what is the term? Uh, not cataclysmic. Uh, a um, uh, catalytic reaction within the frame that, like, you know, uh, y- you can't cover up with an Instagram filter, right? Like, yeah. Uh, it, just because this movie and Weatherman look way too blue, like in, in retrospect, they're just way too blue. They're way too oversaturated. Like I, I get it. Uh, the Coens did it and then it was cool for a very long time. Um, I still think that, 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 um, that shows off a command of the visual language of film that like, I'm not even paying attention to what Naomi Watts is saying at times because the movie is communicating exactly what's happening in silent terms. Yeah. I uh I couldn't agree more like he's he's so good in this movie of like presenting his vision of the ring. It is I think Peter well I don't want to say that. Um it's definitely the first movie we've done this month where the remake completely outdoes the original. I like the original. They are Oh, I know what I was going to say. This is um this movie is better than the original. We're going to do Two more? I'm doing a mental count. Two more movies that I... Three, maybe three more movies that I think outdo the originals. Um, But I did did the math and all seven other movies that we... That we're covering in this double month are... um, Are reimaginings of the movie that take... That were made decades after. Right. I mentioned that at the beginning, but they really are reimaginings. You can watch Dawn of the Dead 1978 and Dawn of the Dead 2004, and there's definitely one that's better than the other, but you're not watching really the same movie. Same thing for um, everything, I think, but Night of the Living Dead. Um, But this is the one that is like, I'm going to copy it. Like, it is very close to the original. Um, and then out, and then take all the good things which were myriad, and make them all a little bit better. Like I can't think of one thing that the original does better than this movie. Like 
the, this movie kind of exceeds it in all areas. And again, not a shot at the original. The original is really good. But it's a classic example of don't watch him back to back, especially with the ring first, because you're not getting a new interpretation. You are just getting kind of a straight remake that does everything a little bit better. The, the stylistic approach is completely different, which I like. Um that, that, because that means that we're not getting a situation where, like, um, it's trying to replicate the exact sort of calm Japanese, sort of uh, draining Japanese style of the original. Um, and, which means that the two films, like, I will revisit both films now. Yeah, you just want to space them out, I think. Yeah, because the plots are very similar, but I think that it's like, too it's too close. Yeah, it's too you're close, not but, watching you're not watching a different interpretation of the same idea. You are watching a different take on the same script. Almost. It feels like two directors. Yeah, it feels like exactly. It feels like two directors are directing the same script almost at times. Yeah, like it's not exactly I, that, but it's per, it's ninety five. It's pretty goddamn close. Yeah, yeah, and like the the the, the original uh, Ring um, Ringu. Um, has a sort of wonderfully somber, draining sort of tone that really helps with my dread. Um, this one is way more propulsive, um, which, uh, you know, Gore Verbinski makes long movies that don't feel long. This movie is almost two hours, and by the time it was done, I was like, what was that, like an 89-minute movie? Um, but Japanese movies can often feel like take a more slower tack to make you sit in the moment. So like in movies like Pulse, which are very slow, that slowness is actually weaponized in a way that like I can think of a few, few movies that have scared me as much as Pulse did. While we're talking about that, we're talking about technology horror, which I think is the final thing I want to hit here. Okay. <clears throat> So, um, I think that a lot of these horror remakes, particularly the Pulse remake, my God, um, where they failed is they often, they, this was a short fad, and where these these sort of Japanese or Korean or uh, Chinese remakes often um, failed is they sort of neglect the cultural context for what made those those original movies scary. Like the Grudge is specifically. Uh, about about Japanese themes like the grudge works best with a it doesn't need a lot of context but like two or three paragraphs of context about how do Japanese the Japanese people view haunted houses how do they view homeowners like homeownership like all that stuff makes the movie way scarier in a weird way um you know not completely connecting one-to-one with movies sometimes makes them very scary in the, its own sort of abstract way that's I mean David Lynch has made a career out of that uh, because David Lynch speaks a language that only David Lynch speaks. Uh, the cultural context was about uh, modernity and technology, our dependence on modern, our dependence on technology, and how modernity um, buries uh, the past, represses the past, and pushes it under under the soil, um, and in this case, down the well. Um, this that's something that Americans can easily adapt. Um, Americans, just like Japan, you know, because part, partially because of the way we've had a, an immense effect on Japanese culture, mm-hmm. um, is uh, can easily identify with the idea that we just keep building upward, building upward, and burying the past beneath it. And literally, the well is buried beneath a cabin. <laughs> they have to dig through floorboards to get to the to get to the past. That's something that Americans can clearly understand. Like, uh, I bought a tract of land. The land is haunted. Like, that's something that's pretty easily, you know, uh, adaptable. Um, 
So the ring doesn't suffer from that sort of like, you know, lost in translation thing as much the the way the rest of the, the, the other movies do. Um, and, and so for that, I want to talk about the fact that the movie is, is, is about um, technology. And there's a few things to, to get into here before we're done. First is that uh, VHS was well on its way out by 2002. Um, they were still making them until the mid two thousands, but um, wasn't wasn't there something I read? That, is it the what was the last movie like new movie released on VHS? It wasn't the History ring. of Violence, I think. Oh, that's right. Yeah, should but have it, been the Ring. They should have done should a, have been release the in the Ring. That would have been awesome. <laughs> that's just, just to get video. in last. That's yeah. just the video. Yeah, just for the nerds, you know. Like it doesn't actually have the movie. It just has the just ring it. Short. Yes, that'd be so fucking yeah. good. Apparently, the first version of the tape, if you re- when you get it, it would be at like minute ten or whatever. But if you like rewound it to the beginning, it would just play the ring tape at the very beginning. So if you did, oh, that would have like, been cool. Like if you just started the movie, uh, but I suppose that's kind of a spoiler if you bought the movie or rented the movie. Like, yeah, but you'd be very yeah. confused. Um, but so VHS was kind of on its way out in America by the time they got around to this. Um, and uh, when the book was written in 1991, it was very much in the heyday. But this adds uh, something that we don't talk about very much, which is antiquated horror, antiquated technology horror. Um, that distortion and white noise and the sort of eerie effect of, of uh, old technology, particularly fading old technology, has a has an effect on our brain. It's either soothing or very eerie, right? Yeah, it's it's kind of like that uh, horror movie about uh, the killer A-track tape where if you press the A-B side five times in a row, Casey and the Sunshine Band appear behind you and kill you <laughs> in the car. <laughs> <laughs> That's good, Aaron. That's good. terrifying. Terrifying. Um, but like, there's you have thing. to yeah. Just to be clear, if you if you like that joke, thank you for listening to two hours and twenty minutes of our podcast. <laughs> yes, thank you, thank you. Um, but like in in a, in a, Insidious, there's literally a scene where they play uh, "Tiptoe Through the Tulips" by Tiny Tim, yeah. and like that was a song that grandmas and and people used to play for their kids, just as like a cute little ditty, like Tiny Tim, that 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 sweet little guy. He's got his little. He's got his little guitar, his little ukulele. He's playing. He's playing songs for the kids. And then in Insidious, they were like, they all they did was like some slight distortion to tiptoe through the tulips, and I think they made the track skip a little bit. And it, all of a sudden, it was a horror song because vinyl that hasn't been taken very well care of is scary. Well, I mean, how many uh, horror movies use the film strip, right? I think Insidious does as well. Like, yep. Um, yeah, so there's a, there's always. Oh, is it Sinister? I forget. Both are good movies. Mm-hmm. Um, sinister mm-hmm. rules. But yeah, like, uh, but so much of that is based on like film strips or old newspapers or just like old ways of communicating. Um, we haven't really seen the DVD horror movie, but this is uh, this is also like um, right before the or right kind of in the middle, I guess, of the uh, – Maybe we should also be talking about how scary new technology is. And so, like, fear. you have, like, fear.com. You have, like, this the one missed call about cell phones. You even have, like, thrillers that are using it. Like, now that everyone has a cell phone, maybe we put uh, Colin Farrell in a phone booth. Yeah. Uh, well, I suppose that doesn't really work because he's in a phone booth. <laughs> um, That's actually antiquated. Uh, antiquated, technology. yeah. But, uh, yeah, it's, it's – it's, He's like, a lot of people jerk off in here. <laughs> in the phone um yeah i think this does use it well and 
uh, as someone who like took a uh, my my school is kind of cool. They had a um, we had a, a television show in our high school that was produced, and you could take film and media studies in high school for some of your electives. And we there was a whole little TV studio and film production stuff, and I took that for two years and did segments on the Friday television show that would air in every classroom and stuff like that so i learned how to edit on videotape and do all that stuff and like what a pain in the ass it is (laughs) um but but as i learned later when i actually had to edit on real film when i was in college um uh better than than editing on film anyways yeah Uh, but but uh yeah so like that idea of like how you sync up the tracks how you do frame by frame you know, to me, when I saw it, felt like something that was very familiar because I was only three years removed from that, two and a half years, maybe two years removed from it. Um, where now it was the whole thing of like that concept of that a video is just film compressed and you're watching it frame by frame still, and there is actual like a physical thing in there you can rip out and modify and change and manipulate. Um, and having to use that kind of editing to pull out messages or pull out what's on the tape was super effective at being creepy. And there's just not an equivalent for that in DVD, right? Like you, you're just getting a laser scanning what's on there. Like you could do a facsimile, but the idea of like going frame by frame, but in a DVD at best, you can be like, Oh, I didn't miss that. You, You could fight club it, right? Like where the frame just went too fast, but you can't really get into like the physicality of, compressed film in a canister being served to you yes in a square or a rectangle yes so uh, there's there there's sort of the antiquated horror of this had entered in right but there's also the fact that like um it, there's also the fact that like the fil- the book was not written with the vhs as an antiquated horror yeah. VHS was very much uh, the the hot commodity, right? They, in v- 1991, VHS had basically defeated Betamax. Yeah. Um, so VHS was ca- the top of the pops, baby. Um, so horror was once all castles, Victorian counts, and then that became antiquated. Then we got fosted, uh, focused on haunted houses. Um, and then that kind of became antiquated in and of itself. Um, the idea of like, you know, big house. Um, and then family needed to disintegrate. You needed to, it wasn't just about a scary house. You also needed to fam- the family itself to fall apart. Um, and like having a movie about a single mother who uh, is, is fighting and working. The first time we're introduced to her, she's fighting to like be good at her job, but also be a good mother. And like, she's got a shitty deadbeat dad who's like not helping with the kid. And it's like, we don't really need to talk about Noah that much, but you know, whatever. Um, <laughs> oh, real quickly, we need to talk about the, the one fact. What kind of fucking deadbeat dad is in the car with his child? And it's like, yeah, I guess I'm a shitty dad because I had a shitty dad. It's it's weird, right, kid? And the kid's like, yeah, for sure. Definitely weird. That kid definitely knows. There's no secret there. That The psychic kid whose ghost is telling him what's going on in the movie when he's off, when we're off screen, that kid, that ghost is like, that guy's your dad. He's like, yeah, I know. I, <laughs> and he's like, duh. Look, I just like, I got a lot going on right now. I'm not ready to meet new people into my so, life. So Samara's like, no one ever does me. Yeah. <laughs> um, um, but yeah, so anyway, so that kid, the dad sucks. But anyways. No, that kid's going on Facebook and being like, that kid's, oh, I know who my dad is. That's, 
Uh, tech, that's, speaking of technology, I do think technology has somewhat changed the concept of the broken home where, like, parents just disappear. <laughs> yeah. Like, that kid can figure it out now. He can figure it out. But, like, so, like, the, the, the poltergeist thing where it's, like, a nuclear family and it's a haunted house and that family, uh, through chaos, is actually being tossed together pushed further together that was kind of the thing for a period of time so modernizing the family getting it away from victorian gothic trappings but this is a nuclear family and we're going to keep the nuclear family together that's gone now in the 2000s right it's it's about single mothers the original book was even you know 1981 was about a single a single father i believe um but um the, the at least ringu was about a single mother um and the idea has now evolved in the 2000s. This is now a single mother who doesn't just have, you know, a ghost to fear. She also has to, like, keep her fucking job and make sure her kid is healthy. And, like, she she's stretched to the edge of her limits. So, like... She's a, she's an April O'Neil, though, right? Like, you remember, remember the first Ninja Turtles where the boss was like, I'm fired, April! And she's like, no, I'm, I'm not, because I'm... I'm with the Foot Clan. Like you're gonna want. They're like, what do you mean the Foot Clan? Here, I forget. I just walk around threatening to fire you all the time. God. Tell me your story. Uh, that's a weird scene, right? Where uh, where the boss like there's it not that much. Well. Th- yeah, that doesn't. Well, not only does it not age well, like there's not continuing scenes where she's pursuing the story. She just yeah, is like, oh shit, I'm gonna in. die. Yeah. Yeah. But yeah, so it, it but even News at in, eleven, I'm gonna die. <laughs> News at eleven, um, you don't have to fire me. Oh man, I'm reading this ongoing series. I hope this lady finds the ghost video date origin <laughs> because it sounds like I'm not gonna read her next Wednesday's column. <laughs> and readers, I have to confess, that spooky lady was me. <laughs> shake the crime stick shake the, the ghost crime. stick <laughs> shake the spooky stick um, um so so but while we're talking about uh the the poltergeist thing um the real theme that i want to like end this on or at least like yeah, put we, us to yeah, take us to we gotta end it on is uh technology is in in poltergeist this this fear that our tools will backfire our servants will revolt our trust will be betrayed by the things that we have trusted to make our lives livable um and the idea that like the tv um, and particularly the VHS would betray us is uh, really, really potent. It's just a technological metaphor that like we often think about the TV as a means of closing our eyes and sort of like uh, putting our headspace at the end of a long day away from the things of the world and having the TV be a thing that actively reaches out and touches us and, 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 and ruins our life um, is uh is is a a really scary idea but it was an idea that was fucking abused and run into the ground uh at the same time as all these bad japanese uh horror remakes because they were uh they a lot of them were about you know uh technology fighting back but they had nothing to say other than maybe cell phones bad um so yeah. yeah, that's 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 uh that's why I think this movie is so interesting because it's using it's it's essentially a, a well, ghost. But that's not, why I hold on before a, a you demon go. Does before... not want to be forgotten, but the only way that this repressed past can insist on itself is through the only thing we're paying attention to, which is our technology. 
Yeah, it's also why I just think outdated technology works better in horror movies. The reason why stuff like The Net and Fear.com and other things is because, like, you can't do it with a technology in its infancy or or in a technology that uh, still has iterations because you don't – because you're going to date your movie. And if you date um, any sort of, like – current event terror it makes it a comedy not a horror movie because it can't not if it's goofy and not scary it's very hard. like you could probably find i know brandon Ledet, friend of the show fucking loves the net i doubt he loves it because of the the because of the uh real world fear it inspires about the internet where i think if you made an internet film now i'm not saying that you wouldn't be necessarily dated in 20 years like a horror theme one but i think you'd have a better grasp on something that wouldn't be mockable in like you know two years like technology like in its infancy expands 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 and then iterates and um vhs was like you know vhs is a good example where like whether it's 1991 or even 2002 there's not an iteration that's happening to that as a technology anymore and so you're kind of safe to delve into what's so scary about it um and uh and i think they i think they nail it really well i really do like this movie um as i move towards my final thoughts um i you know i i it was a movie peter that like as I said, I was never a huge fan of it. I don't have fond memories of it. I don't own it. But I always knew that it was like a competent ghost story. I was definitely not going back into this expecting to hate it because I didn't hate it then. And if anything, I also recognized that my – all the extra textual stuff that was influencing the way I was viewing this movie uh, are gone. I, I wasn't worried about the state of the horror movie in 2002 in 2020 anymore. And so I had a I had a suspicion that I was going to like this more, and I did. And I'm glad um, I'm glad we get a chance to do it on the show because I think the the next four movies I'm really excited to talk about, but they they don't have as much influence on general general trends of like horror movies. So I'm glad in this like first half we got a chance to talk about like Dawn of the Dead, The Crazies and The Ring because I do find the trend lines of like what was popular, what was made to horror movies throughout my lifetime somewhat interesting and hopefully people listening do as well. I recognize throughout my lifetime because everything else I just experienced in retrospect. So I I wasn't there as I was like, are we ever going to get a good R-rated horror movie from a studio? <laughs> like, you know, uh, uh, I didn't. I didn't have to live through that as like someone who was uh going to the movies as much as I was back then. So yeah, I think you. I think you wrapped it up for me as well. Um, because I got to talk about the technology portion. The only thing I have to throw in, there's a specific image of bugs crawling in the tape, and then it cuts to bodies floating or people swimming in like a mud, a hellish mud pool. And you're yeah. like, why didn't they use drowning pole pools? Let the bodies hit the floor. Why didn't they use it? Um, no, I, I, I had a nightmare last night about that image, like right after watching the movie. Um, so like that shows you the impact of the movie that like some part of this, some part of the editing, his ability to Gore Bravinsky's ability to manifest hellish imagery um, worked into my subconscious in a way that like, 
I I didn't know. And that uh, speaking to your, your comment earlier that I agreed with, like they didn't explain this like hell pool of people swimming around and, 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 uh, and, and drowning in this pool. Like, uh, that that image was just for us it was just in its context it's just in the creepy tape and that was maybe Samara showing us what the afterlife is like um i i don't know but like as a final thought like some part of the tape needs to remain a, a dark mystery and while i did dive into a lot of the um, the strange pathways that the series took with multiple, multiple canons um, that uh, ultimately at the end of the day, it's about a strange little mystery tape and trying to solve it, trying to get some grasp of the universe. And at the end of the day, all you know are the strange rules that you have ruled out. And in order to rule out what wasn't the rules, people had to die. So uh, th that's why this movie, while I don't think it's transcendent on the level like Invasion of the Body Snatchers is or, um, you know, certain movies we're going to cover. I do think that it's transcendent in the sense that like it transcended the film into my subconscious. Like it, the yeah. visual style of it uh, worked for me in a way that like, you know, the narrative themes, the script themes, uh, maybe didn't didn't uh, you know uh, destroy me in a in the way that like I, I hoped. Um, the imagery did. The imagery got in my yep. subconscious, and that's ultimately what matters here. Yeah, the only way to get it out, as you know, Peter, is to take the DVD copy you have and bury it in your backyard in a proper burial, and then I'm sure everything will be fine. Uh, yeah, we're moving on to phase two. <laughs> uh, or month two uh, of of Scream makes, and we're starting phase two with uh, a, a little guy, little guest, Chucky Moran, who I believe was a bass player in a pretty popular ska band in uh, uh, the he Chicago in bass. the 90s. He was a guitar player okay so we can talk about scott we never talked about episode. what we, we never talked about what instrument he played i assumed bass because if if he played guitar i assumed uh he would still be somewhat musically famous <laughs> and, since he, and since he's not doesn't do anything musical today to my knowledge i assumed he played a face fake instrument like bass that really anyone can play is that accurate uh, I don't know if what you said about bass is accurate, but uh, I can agree with you that he's not famous for being a musician. <laughs> Thank you. So, yeah, uh, Chucky Moran, Peter's eldest brother and only brother, but technically eldest. What's the separation? He's like my age, right? Seven like years. Nine years. Me, so. Seven years. All right. Well, uh, him and I are going to have uh, a lot to talk about, uh, about jinkos, about yeah. uh, uh, people doing kickflips. What is it like their, to be an decks? elder millennial? You know? Well, people don't consider us millennials, and when we say we're millennials, people are like, oh, you're just trying to be young, and like, any any pedantic attempt to show what how the generation is measured is <laughs> so measured. So you're the Dan Ninen of uh, podcasters? We're, we're just, we're basically wandering in the desert of gener- People who are on the border of any generation, which I think probably regardless of which side, feel like they're, they're probably on some weird, like, uh... Yeah, I'm not Generation X, but when I say I'm millennials, the kids beat me up. <laughs> uh, so yeah, that's that's where Char Charlie and I are gonna speak about that exclusively, and also the remake of 1990, uh, and also the remake of uh, the Blob, 
which is a movie I've seen because of Peter's recommendation. And it'd be weird if we found out it was because of Charlie had recommended it to Peter in some sort of weird blob human centipede type situation. Whoa! No, he didn't. I, I, I'm, I'm making him watch it for the first time. It's just a movie I, oh. think, he, I, I think he think would be rad. But he made me watch the original Blob. Did he really? That movie's terrible. Uh, I think he bought it for like a $3 uh dvd bin and he was like you got to watch this movie with me and then we watched it and i i think i fell asleep about 15 uh the blob this is the only remake that we're going to be doing where the original is actually pretty bad um yeah anyway yeah 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 uh, the only thing i like about it is that steve mcqueen's name is steve in the movie and i feel like steve needed to be told his name was steve before every line reading because if you watch it and just go and note how every character starts any sentence directed to steve mcqueen with steve um it is the funniest fucking movie ever uh yeah yeah what do you what do you got (laughs) yeah anyway yeah so we'll we'll we're done being uh all ringy uh and we're gonna be blobby uh yeah i don't know fuck it it's over blobby Blobby. Blobby. <laughs> Podcast. <laughs> Can you fly, Blobby? Shit, Robocop. Thank you so much for listening to We Love to Watch. If you made it to the end, hopefully you liked what you heard today. And if you'd like to hear more, please go to patreon.com slash we love to watch. And if you can chip in a few bucks, that would really help us keep the lights on and keep us moving forward. Uh, it wasn't an implicit threat by Peter. He just didn't know how to say it. But either way, we'll continue to make more. But it would be helpful uh, as we explain to our loved ones where all our money is going, which is all on server space. Uh, <laughs> if you can't, <laughs> uh, if you don't have a few bucks to chip in, we totally understand. And you want to support the show. We truly, absolutely would appreciate a uh, review on iTunes. I know every podcast says it, and it's because it really does help. And so every podcast wants that help. So please go leave us a positive review so that when people find this show organically, they hopefully want to tune in and listen. And thanks again for all of your listenership and support and time throughout the years. Uh, We really do appreciate you. Uh, With kisses and smooches, Peter and Aaron. (laughs)